Most of you probably know this about me already, uh, but for those who don't, you can laugh as well. But um, there are lots of things, lots of things that I am not good at. One of those things is anything that includes a tool. So yes, I know that's more than one thing, but um, that, that, that played itself out even this weekend. Uh, we had a, a plumbing issue at our house, and I called the plumber to come and sort of diagnose the problem, and he came and gave us a free estimate, diagnosed the problem, told us what was wrong with it, what it was going to take to fix it, how much it was going to cost to fix it, and in spite of my self-awareness that I'm not good at anything that requires a tool, I still thought... I could do that. I, I have YouTube, right? I have YouTube. I can YouTube it, and I can figure it out. And there's every, everything you could possibly need to do. There's a YouTube video about it. So I thought, I can YouTube it. So I did. I, I YouTubed it. I, I, I watched several videos. I, I put myself under the sink. I, I got my tools out. I do have tools. And I, I cranked, and I turned, and I, I broke things. But... I'm proud to say that in the end, I called the plumber and he came and he, he fixed the problem. <laughs> but my least favorite part of doing any sort of project is probably going to the hardware store, which I don't mind going to the hardware store in and of itself. I, I kind of like that. It's, it's the questions that I feel obligated to answer and my fear that someone is going to ask me a question about the project that I'm doing because I, again, I don't know what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. And so like when they ask, what brings you in today? I mean, what am I supposed to say? Well, I'm trying to save $300. That's why, you know, t tell me what aisle that's on, right? I, 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 if I'm really honest, they say, what, what brings you in today? It's like, I have no clue, like I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know why I'm doing it, I, I don't know what I'm trying to accomplish. And, and that, that I think applies to lots of areas of our life. That when we lack confidence in what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it, what we hope to accomplish, then these two words are incredibly intimidating. Explain yourself, right? Explain yourself. And, and when we lack confidence, when we don't really know, what, what am I trying to do here? What am I trying to accomplish? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Then when someone asks us, or even when we're afraid that someone's going to ask us to explain ourselves, it's incredibly intimidating. But, but the, the other side of the coin is that if you do have confidence, if you know why you're doing what you're doing, if you know how you hope this is going to work out, what you hope you're going to accomplish here, then you kind of invite scrutiny. You invite someone to ask you to explain yourself. You don't mind someone asking you to explain yourself. In fact, you're really passionate about it, and you say, thank you for asking me what it is I'm trying to accomplish, what it is that I'm doing, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Thank you for asking me to explain myself, because I would love to explain myself. And I think that, that we have to sort of look at our lives and say, where are we when it comes to our hope in Christ? When people ask us to explain yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? Again, we've read this passage several times in this series, but I want to read it one last time as we wrap up this series. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Here's what Peter said. He said, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, again, the context here, this idea that people are going to ask you a reason for the, what? Hope that is in you. People are going to ask you a reason for the hope that is within you. And the reason they're going to ask you about your hope is that they will find your behavior bizarre. They will find your behavior bizarre. They will not understand why are you doing that. And those are two things we don't often connect with one another. Hope and bizarre behavior, but maybe we should connect those two things. Bizarre behavior is usually, or behavior that you find bizarre, think about someone who behaves in a way that you find weird or strange or bizarre, and chances are you find their behavior bizarre because you don't share their hope. They have some sort of hope. They're doing what they're doing, as strange as it may seem to you, they're doing what they're doing because they believe that that behavior is going to pay off in some way. They believe that that behavior is going to work out well in the end. Now, you don't share their hope, and that's why you find their behavior bizarre. And other people are going to find your Christian behavior bizarre. They're going to look at you and say, that's weird. Why are you doing that? And Peter says, when they ask you those types of questions, when they accuse you, when they scrutinize you, when they examine you, and they say, why are you doing this? Then prepare to give a reason. Be prepared to give a reason for your hope. I, I like what Martin Luther says. Martin Luther says, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. No husbandman, that is a, a farmer, no, no farmer would sow a grain of corn if he hoped not it would grow up and become seed. Or no tradesman would set himself to work if he did not hope to re reap benefit thereby. Whenever you do something, whatever it is that you do, when you say something, when you buy something, when you give something, when you do something, whatever it is that you do, you do because of some hope, some confidence that you have that this will be worth it. This will be worth it. In the end, this will be worth it. In the end, this is going to work out. And you do what you do because of your hope. And people are going to recognize that. And they're going to recognize that they don't share the same hope that you have. And so if you're living as a Christian, then your behavior will be found bizarre by non-Christians. And it's because you have a different hope. But, but I think it's important to say something like this too. Your actions align with your actual hope. Your actions align with your actual hope, not necessarily your stated hope. Because it's one thing to say, I hope in Christ. But what do your actions say? Because your actions will align with your actual hope, won't they? If you say you, you believe in Jesus, you hope in Jesus, yet 
yet you're actually living like the world, then where's your hope? Your hope is actually, your actual hope, not your stated hope, but your actual hope is in the world. Because somewhere deep inside of you, you think that that worldly behavior is going to pay off better than following Jesus. If you live in a fleshly sort of way, then your actual hope is that that fleshly behavior is going to pay off better than walking by the Spirit. But if you walk by the Spirit, then it's in the Spirit, it's in God, it's in Christ where your actual hope lies. Your actions align with your actual hope. So what is your actual hope? What is your actual hope? What, what are you really hoping here? And, and what are your actions saying about your hope? And when someone asks you about your actions, when they say, that's really weird. Why do you do that? Why do you live that way? Why do you deny yourself? Why do you live selflessly? Why do you love people that don't love you back? Why do you love your enemies? Why do you turn the other cheek? Why don't you indulge your passions like the rest of us? When they ask you those types of questions, what they're really asking about, whether they know it or not, what they're really asking about is your hope. What do you hope to accomplish here? How do you think this is all going to play out? Why do you do what you do? And when they ask you those types of questions, Peter says, be prepared to give an answer about your hope. Here's what I hope. And when we say hope, we're not talking about wishful thinking. We're talking about confident expectation. This is what I know is going to happen. When I plant a seed and I water it and it gets lots of sunshine, I hope, I know, I'm confident something's going to grow. And when I follow Jesus, what do I think is going to happen? What do I hope is going to happen? What am I confident is going to happen when someone follows Jesus? Now, we've been following Paul, not only on his missionary journeys, but also as he's been standing trial. Standing trial in front of the Jewish authorities and in front of the Roman authorities. And every time Paul is put on trial, he speaks about his hope. His hope. And when we say hope, the hope of Christians is very specific. Not just some general, well, it's all going to work out in the end, or I'm pretty sure I'm going to go to a better place when I die. No, no, no. The hope for Christians is very specific, and Paul loved to be asked about it. Ask me about my hope, because Paul would love to share it with you. Look at Acts chapter 23 and verse 6. This is where Paul is on trial in front of the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Sanhedrin. Acts 23 and verse 6. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Because the Pharisees believed in things like miracles. The Pharisees believed in angels. The Pharisees believed in, in resurrection. They believed that at the end, God was going to raise the dead. And when we say resurrection, we're, we're talking about 
resurrection. We're talking about dead bodies coming back to life. And the Pharisees held that that's the only way this is going to work out. The only way God is going to keep his promises to all the people God has made promises to. God's made promises to Abraham and to Isaac, to Jacob, to all of our fathers, to the prophets. God has made promises to all of us. And the only way those promises can possibly come true is if God is planning on raising the dead. The Sadducees didn't believe any of that. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So when Paul said this, he wasn't just pitting the Pharisees and the Sadducees against each other. He he was doing that, but, but it was more than that. He was saying this because it's true. This is why Paul was on trial. He was on trial because of his hope in the resurrection of the dead. And he's saying, Pharisee brothers, we've always believed this. We've always believed that this is what God does, that this is what God can do, and that this is what God will do. And what Paul is simply saying is that this general resurrection of the dead, that at the end God is going to raise all the dead people, it's it's already started. And it started with Jesus. And Paul says, that's that's my hope. It's, It's always been my hope. Even when Paul was was before he became a follower of Jesus, that was his hope. And he's saying to his his Pharisee brothers, he's saying, this is our hope, and it's already begun. God has already begun to raise the dead. I think this is important. This is from N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright says, the great majority of the ancients believed in life after death. Many of them developed, as we've seen, complex and fascinating beliefs about it and practices in relation to it, but other than within Judaism and Christianity, they did not believe in resurrection. All ancient people believed in some sort of an afterlife, or almost all ancient people believed in some sort of an afterlife, and they did all kinds of things to prepare for the afterlife, in a good place or a bad place. It was was Judaism and Christianity that really had this specific hope of resurrection of the dead. Other people thought that that was crazy. But Paul says, listen, it's, it's not only not crazy, It's already happened. It's already started. God has already raised Jesus from the dead. And what God has done for Jesus in literally bringing his body out of the grave, God is going to literally do, bodily do, for all of his people. And that is Paul's hope. That is our hope. Not just some pie in the sky. Not just some generic hope of maybe, hopefully, things will work out. Something very specific. God will raise the dead. And to his people, he will give eternal life. Paul says, that's why I do everything that I do. That's that's it. Because of that hope. And and that's what we have to be prepared to share with other people. It's it's relatively simple, isn't it? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I am going to die. But God, through Jesus, is going to raise me from the dead. My body will not stay dead forever. God will raise me from the dead and he will transform my mortal body into an immortal body. And he will do the same for all of his people. And that's why I do what I do. You want to know why we behave the way we behave? You want to know why we deny ourselves 
pleasures and passions? Do you want to know why we love our enemies? Do you want to know why we turn the other cheek? Do you know why we decide not to participate in the things the world is participating in? Because we believe God is going to raise the dead and give life to his people, and we want to be part of that. I want that. Nothing else matters. I want that. I want to live forever with God and Jesus and his people. And Paul says, that's, that's why I do everything that I do. And the proof that this hope is true and real and reasonable is that it's already begun. And God has already raised Jesus. Look at what Paul says when he's on trial in front of the governor Felix, Acts chapter 24 and verse 20. Acts 24 and verse 20. This is again when he's on trial in front of the, the Roman governor Felix. He says, or else let these men themselves say, the Jewish people that have made these accusations, say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before them in the council. He's recounting what happened in front of the Sanhedrin. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. So again, when he's on trial in front of the Roman governor, he says the same thing. He says, this is it. This is why I'm on trial. This is my hope. This is why I do everything that I do. Because this is what I believe. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And I believe that that resurrection began with Jesus. And that's why I'm on trial. And that's why I, I, won't, I won't stop talking about it. And that's why they're angry with me. Then he, he testifies in front of Felix and his wife Drusilla. Acts chapter 24, verse 24. Now, before we even get to that text, it's important to note, Drusilla, Felix's wife, uh, came from a Jewish background. She had been married to a Syrian king, and Felix stole her away from her former husband, talked her into leaving her husband in order to marry him and be with him. She, she knew, because of her background, that what she had done was wrong. And, and so here's what we read when Paul is testifying in front of Felix and Drusilla. Verse 24, some days, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. What Paul was saying alarmed him, terrified him. Because he knew that if this is true, then I have to make changes. And I can't be the person that I've been. I can't keep living like I've lived. And if this is true, then, then even death itself won't save me from the coming judgment. Because God is going to raise the dead and he is going to judge both the righteous and the wicked. And, and when Felix heard these things, he was afraid, but he didn't repent. Instead, he said, go back to your cell. We'll talk about this later. And he kept Paul in prison for two more years until Felix was out of office and he was replaced by the next governor, Festus. Now look at Acts chapter 26 and verse 2. Now he's standing on trial in front of the governor, Festus, the new governor, and King Agrippa. And here's what he says in Acts 26 and verse 2. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, for two years, Paul has been imprisoned without 
any real charges against him because it's clear that he hasn't violated any Roman laws. He hasn't incited a riot. He hasn't stirred anybody up. He hasn't caused problems. He hasn't violated any Roman laws, but they just don't know what to charge him with. And the Jewish people are going to be angry if they say, listen, you didn't break any of our laws. You can go free. The Jewish people are going to riot. And so they they can't have that. So to keep them happy, they've kept Paul in prison, but it's obvious that he hasn't broken any Roman laws. The only question is, has he broken any Jewish laws? They claim that that he's broken some of their laws, but the Roman authorities don't really know how to judge that. Felix didn't really know how to judge that. Festus doesn't know how to judge that. Agrippa, though, the king knows how to judge that, whether or not Paul has broken Jewish laws. And Paul says, "I'm, I'm glad that I get to make my defense in front of you, Agrippa, because you know whether or not I violated any of these Jewish laws. Look at verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. So Paul says, I... I've not only not broken any of our laws, I've gone above and beyond. By the strictest party of our Jewish people, I have, I've held the line from the very beginning. And so there are no charges against me that I've disregarded the law of Moses, that I've disregarded the customs of our people. I haven't broken any of their laws either. Verse 6, and now I stand here on trial because of my what? My hope. In the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? He says, we've always believed this as a people. The Pharisees leading the way in this, this hope this hope that God is going to keep his promises, that God's going to keep his promises to Abraham, that God's going to keep his promises to Isaac, that God's going to keep his promises to Jacob, that God's going to keep his promises to all of the 12 patriarchs and to everybody in between, to the remnant of Israel. God's going to keep his promises, and the only way God's going to keep those promises is to raise these dead people back to life. And we've always had that hope he says, that's, that's why the Jewish people are doing what they're doing. That's why they worship night and day. Because they want to be resurrected. They want to live forever. And Paul is saying, that's, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That They say they believe that God can raise the dead. They say they believe God will raise the dead. They say they believe God has promised to raise the dead. So why is anybody shocked when he does? Why are they surprised? Why are you surprised? Why am I standing on trial when I say God has kept his promise? He promised to raise the dead and it's already begun with Jesus. And I'm on trial before you because of my hope, that simple hope that God is a God who does what he says he will do. That God is a God who, when he makes a promise to someone, even death itself will not stop God from keeping his promises. Skip down to verse 22, Acts 26. 
verse 22. He says, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul says, they say that I'm disregarding the law of Moses and the customs of our people, but everything I'm saying, everything I'm talking about, it comes from the Hebrew scriptures. This is everything Moses said and that the prophet said we're, we're going to come to pass. God will keep his promises. God raises the dead. This is everything that we believed, everything that we had hoped in. And he says, this is how I would summarize. This is how he summarizes what Moses and the prophets promised, that the Christ must suffer, that he would be the first among many to be raised from the dead, and that he will proclaim light to the Jews and to the Gentiles. That's it. That's the gospel. My question for you is that when someone asks you why do you do what you do? Could you summarize it for them like that? It's because I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe that God keeps his promises. I believe that he promised to raise the dead and that he's already begun. That after the Messiah suffered for our sins, that God raised him from the dead and that he will raise everyone from the dead to judge both the righteous and the wicked. And I believe that this message, this good news of hope and forgiveness and salvation and life and resurrection is for both the Jewish people and for the nations of the world, that God is gathering a multi-ethnic people, a multinational, multilingual people that have this hope. That's why I do what I do. That's why I say what I say. That's why I give up what I give up. Can you, can you say that to someone? Do you have that confidence, that hope? Can you, can you articulate that hope for other people? Why do you do what you do? Why do you live as a follower of Jesus when it would be so much easier not to? Wouldn't it? It'd be so much easier not to be a follower of Jesus and just do whatever you feel like doing. Do whatever you desire to do. Do whatever your passions tell you to do. But you don't. You follow Jesus even when it's hard. Even when people don't like you for it, even when people criticize you for it, even when people mock you for it, you keep following Jesus. Why? We should be so confident in our hope that we would wear a shirt that says, ask me why. Ask me why. Because you can't wait for somebody to say, your behavior is really bizarre. Why do you do that? I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking. I would love to tell you about the hope that I have in Jesus. Look at verse 24. And he was saying these things in his defense, as he was saying these things in his defense. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. People are still going to say, you're out of your mind. There is no method of evangelism by which nobody is going to tell you you're crazy. They told Jesus he was crazy. They told Paul he was crazy. If you, if you testify to the hope that you have in Jesus, 
there are probably going to be plenty of people that say you're out of your mind, and that's okay. You're not responsible for their response. You are not responsible for their response. You're only responsible for saying and doing what is aligned with what is true, what is good, what is faithful. Just be faithful. And some people are going to respond well and say, I want to know more about that. Some people are going to say, go back to your cell. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Some people are going to say, you are crazy. But you're not responsible for their response. You're just responsible for following Jesus and, and then sharing with people as you have the opportunity. Share with people the hope that you have in him. Paul continues, verse 26, For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Verse 28, And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God not only that you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul wasn't concerned with timing. He was concerned with truth. I don't know if it's going to take a short time or a long time, Agrippa. All I know is I want you to have what I have, to be what I am. Not that Paul was perfect, but that he had hope. Agrippa, I want you to have hope. I want you to have life. Not just you, I want everybody who can hear my voice. I want you to have hope. I want you to have life. This is why Paul did everything that he did. This is why he was willing to stay in prison for years, to be falsely accused, to be beaten, to be mocked, to be hated. Why? Because he knew how it's going to end. And he wanted everyone to have what he had. Here's the situation. Everyone is dying. Everyone is dying. Everybody in this room, everybody you know, everybody you meet, everyone is dying. And every person, every dying person deserves to hear about our hope. Isn't that true? Everyone is dying. And they all deserve the chance to hear what Jesus has done for them. They all deserve to, to have the chance to hear what Jesus will do. That he is going to raise the dead. See, everybody that you meet has the same problem. They're dying. Everybody you meet has the same problem. They know, whether they want to admit it or not, they know that death is coming for them. But they need the chance to hear that Jesus is also coming and that Jesus will raise the dead and give life to his people. If that is your hope, if that is your confidence, if that is your expectation, if that is why you do what you do, then tell somebody about it because every dying person deserves to hear about the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you realize that you're dying. And you realize that you don't have this hope yet. And you're ready to be united with Jesus in baptism. And be raised up in anticipation of the resurrection. To be raised up out of the water to live a, a new life as a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're ready to make that commitment and that decision. Maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. Our shepherds 
We'd love, as always, to visit with you after service, or you can come forward now. And together we stand and sing this song.